Mike says it's a day of joy, and uh, but there's also a day of sadness. We'd like the elders to come down. Then you're like, oh, wow, are we all in trouble? <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is. It's, um, as we said, it's bittersweet. And I'm telling you, uh, there is a, uh, you've got uh, some men, and I'm honored to be counted amongst them as your elders, uh, that pray for you, that love you. I'm telling you, this bunch, I'm proud to serve with them. I do not know how churches do it without a plurality of leadership uh, that work together, that have good hearts. So thank you, Lord, for bringing this group together. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 13 today, and we pick up in the text where Mike left off last week, and his title was something like, When in the End. And I I was assigned the turn or burn verse uh, in Luke 13, we'll get it in a minute, and uh, so we were joking around earlier about how to lose in the end if we just stuck with turn or burn. And, and we figured since it's followed with a, uh, a parable about bearing fruit, we'll just call this thing, uh, repent. Uh, how did we just t- title this? Cause I've changed it. Repent and be fruitful until the end. And so we're going to dive in today, uh, from the positive side. We need to see this whole section starting in chapter 13, verse 1 really through the whole chapter, as one whole thing. And so we're going to do a little reading here at first to kind of get the picture of of the, the big thousand-foot view here of what's going on, of what Luke is doing with this text. First, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. There's our turn or burn verse. Or what about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. Just hold your finger right there. How long was Jesus's earthly ministry? Three years. That's one of those, oh, moments. Been looking for fruit on this fig tree for three years and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now let's just pause right there and we'll get into some of the text. Uh, what's going on here is before we move forward. There are two tragic events that happened. There was this mixing of blood at the time of the sacrifice these Galileans probably were at. We don't really know a lot historically about it, but these Galileans were probably in Jerusalem uh, during the time of sacrifice. And Pilate, because he wanted to put down rebellions, we see that happening throughout Scripture. We see this the same Pilate that had Jesus crucified, uh, sent people out, killed them at the time of sacrifice, and their blood, these, this Jewish blood, was mixed with their sacrifice. And then there was this tower that fell. And killed some people. The thought at the time of these two tragic events, and it's it's not so much too far removed with how we oftentimes think today, is that these people telling Jesus about it, these Jewish leaders, come along and say, 
well, they were worse sinners than we were because of the way they died. And Jesus says, no way. That is not the case. You don't know everything you think you know. These people are not more guilty of sin or guiltier of sin. Uh, but if you don't watch yourself, if you don't turn, if you don't repent, you will perish just like they did or worse. It's not a matter of what they did. It's a matter of their repentance. You know, it's the old uh, uh, at least uh, justification of, of our own sin whenever we compare ourselves to other people. Well, at least I didn't do what so-and-so did. Everybody been there before? That was how I approached God in my early years of life. When I was like, well, if I could find one person that was worse than me, then I was okay. It's like trying to outrun a bear. You just got to have one person that's uh, slower than you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you miss hell? How do you not get judged by God? Just find one person worse than you. Bad theology. Bad theology. Because what happened? As my behavior got worse, I always found somebody worse than me. And it still didn't bring me any closer to God, nor did it give me any peace. It's an old theory of, or it's actually not so old, it's still still around, called a theory of retribution that said bad things happen because I've done something wrong. And the flip side is good things are happening to me because I'm good. I've done something good. You know, while there are natural and logical consequences to our behavior, all right, I'm going to say that again. There are natural and logical consequences to our behavior. You do, you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Bad things might just happen. That's a logical or natural consequence to our behavior. It's a good teacher. That's how we a lot of times will teach our children. They burn their hand, what? They learned a lesson. I told you not to do that. But the very fact that when we start connecting dots between tragedies or tragic events in people's lives and saying, oh, that happened because they did this. Or look how blessed they are. They must be living how? They must be living right. Well, they could be living right and living wrong and and looking right. We've done that before, too, haven't we? That's very dangerous when we do that on several levels. First of all, it puts too much weight on our limited view of a person's situation. We see a person driving down the road or walking down the road that maybe doesn't look quite like us. Maybe they got a little funny, funny gait to themselves or something doesn't feel right or look right. And maybe they're stumbling around and they're like, mm, that person ain't right. As I was talking to Bill Durham last night, he said, you know, I stumbled in my car, I get in the car, I get in my car, and uh, I'm walking around like a man who, who's, who's on something, and if somebody's going to report me one day, but it's just, well, we're just glad you're here, brother. I'm glad you're driving, you know, praise God for that. Because, you know, some things happen in our life, sickness happens, and we, things just don't re- rebound the way we should. We don't know what's going on in that person's life. Yeah, they may have died tragically, but boy, when we put our seat in a self in a seat of judgment that determines they died because of a certain thing, that's right down the road of legalism. And we don't want to go there. Because we don't know. Our it also limits our ability to show mercy. If I think somebody got what they deserved, I'm gonna be mm-hmm. You ever had the uh huhs? Yeah, we've all had. Or maybe you've been a recipient of the, mm-hmm. And you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know, what I'm, you, you, you hear that, that condescending, mm-hmm, uh, coming out from somebody's voice like, well, I deserve what I've got. And that just keeps us in shame. 
we are to show we'll be slow to show mercy. Also, you know what? We don't know what's behind the scenes. We don't know what what's going on in a person's life. We don't know what they just went through. We don't know the trauma, the terror, or everything they just came out of. Ours is not to judge why or even to explain. Ours is to show mercy and to trust God's judgment. Even if that person does get what they deserve. Even if that person did have some tragic thing happen because of their own bad mistakes and bad behavior. What do we do? We show mercy. Randall called me the other day, Randall Greer, and said, I forget the number. Some, somewhere up into upper hundreds of step studies, people that are in, in Louisiana prisons, in the Angola system. That's showing mercy. Praise God. And, I, and I'm so proud of that, of Mindy and Jerry Ann and others that go to the ladies' prison. And they're baptizing people left and right. And we've talked about that. That's showing mercy. Do they deserve what they got? Probably. They're probably there for a reason. But that doesn't keep us from showing mercy. Does that make sense? Let's just show mercy. And sometimes it's hard. But let's err on the side of grace and mercy. Jesus takes this idea and goes one step further and says, you take a look at yourself. You repent. Don't worry about them. You repent or you'll die. These folks' death did not necessarily happen because of some extreme sinfulness, but yours might unless you repent. And he says it twice. No, I tell you, you repent or you too will perish. Repentance is a church word. We don't hear it too often outside of church, do we? And uh, a lot of times it gets a negative connotation, but it's not. It's, it's, it causes, in fact, Luke 15 says that repentance causes rejoicing in heaven. So if it causes rejoicing in heaven, it's got to be a positive thing. Literally, it meets, it means to turn from something. And for those of us who have come to Jesus, there is this initial, I'm turning away from this and I'm going to turn to Jesus. And there is this 180 that's done. But as we grow in Jesus, as we're sanctified, as there's more Holy Spirit and less flesh in us, how many times have we found out, or oftentimes, or every day we find out, there's more and more things I've got to turn away from and turn to Jesus with. And we starts drilling down and something comes out of nowhere and we get blindsided and our minds get hijacked, our emotions get hijacked, and we're like, where in the world did that come from? It looks like there's more repentance in my life that needs to happen. And our life is like peeling an onion, isn't it? It makes you sniffle, it makes you cry, and it kind of stinks sometimes, but in the end... Thank goodness that peeling of the onion is done and God gets the glory. Repentance is not just a, it is a one-time thing, but it is a continual turn in our life. Because the more we turn to the light, the more the light can shine on darkness and reveal things that need to happen. This is rubber meets the road language, but it's not just for them that Jesus is talking about. It's for us as well. Because repentant, because then he comes to this thing about fruit, repentant lives. When a person repents, they begin to bear fruit. And that's why this parable is why we have to see them together. You repent or you'll perish. Look at yourself and take and, and turn to God. Turn to Jesus, he says. Turn to me and bear fruit. For three years I've been looking for fruit from you guys and I hadn't seen it. Judgment's coming. And then the the guy who's taking care of it says, let's just give it a little more time and fertilize it. And if nothing comes out, then we'll tear it down. But if it does, wonderful. 
The time to repent and bear fruit is now. Repentant lives are fruitful lives. Bearing fruit is serious business. Second Peter 1 kind of bears this out when it says, We are designed to bear fruit. Make every effort to add to your life these things. We're expected to bear fruit. And we're equipped to it. We're given the Holy Spirit to bear fruit. Fruit is the evidence of what is on the inside of our life. If bad comes out, got bad seed. If good comes out, you got good seed. Galatians 5 says that we bear these fruits of the Holy Spirit that's living, that lives in us. Several people were baptized this morning. Uh, I think a few are later on after, after our services today. And when they're buried in Christ and raised to walk a new life, Romans 6 says, and then, uh, where is it at? Acts 2? It's in there somewhere. I had to catalog it and find it. Uh, just read the Bible. It's in there. You'll find it. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 says that we are given the Holy Spirit. We're clothed in Christ, Galatians says, and the Holy Spirit is there. And what happens? Then there's love and there's joy and there's, there's peace and there's kindness. Well, what was there? The opposite of all those things. But then those things start to grow and there's more. And the depth of that love grows more and more. It's an indication of the Holy Spirit in our life. There are stories that you, there are people that you know that you don't know their stories and you, and you hear their story and you're like, they were like that? Yeah. They were that angry? Yeah. They were that mean? Yeah. Wow, what happened? The Holy Spirit. And they started bearing fruit. That's what happened. Bearing fruit is serious business. Follow the fruit of your life. What comes out? What comes out during the tough times? What comes out during the tension times? That's what the fruit of your life is showing. Be fruitful, not fruitless. We get to this section here in verse 10 where we actually see these things on display. This bearing fruit, this fruitful life versus a fruitless life, a repentant life versus one that's unrepentant. Verse 10, on, the, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. You ever been there? Crippled by something for a long time, so bent over and you couldn't straighten up at all maybe not physically but we've all been there spiritually at some level have we not you ever notice when a person comes in that comes to jesus or or just beaten down by by satan and his host it's hard to hold their head up isn't it i remember sitting across the table and i don't see her this morning so i won't mention her name out loud i didn't get permission to say this but karen i sat across the table from uh from her a few years ago she had just gotten here just got out of jail actually and the answers were real short the face was down there was no smile there was no glimmer and last sunday night she was a bridesmaid at a wedding and she looked beautiful beautiful smile head held high walking down that aisle eyes full of joy and that's just one Boy, we've all been some time or another infirmed by something in our life to where we're just stooped over, head down, and we're just trying to make it through. And then Jesus comes in, and this happens. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, 
Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he puts up, then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. When Jesus comes into our life, he touches our life and we're able to straighten up and praise God. That's what fruitful people do. That's what it is when we repent and turn to Jesus. We're able to straighten up. You ever been told that in your life? Straighten up. (laughs) Well, Jesus, you can. Indignant, verse 14, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. That would be so like, here we are on Sunday morning. We've got people in the live stream. We've got people in instrumental service. We're here in this room. And someone would come down here and and say, this woman came down, stooped over, and she was healed and, and whatever. And, and I stand up and say, you know what? This is right in the middle or, uh, of, of my sermon. You can wait till the end or you can wait till tomorrow. I mean, come on. When couldn't you come yesterday? And, and being indignant about that. And every one of y'all would be like, oh, he just said that. He disrupted our service. I can't believe. You know, that's kind of that thing. You, you, you say that out loud and you're like, why would they even say that? The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? You're taking care of your beast here, but this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? And when he put it that way, when he said it, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. Why? Because they were not humble. They were not repentant. They were not bearing fruit. Therefore, they're humiliated. But all the people were delighted in all the wonderful things he was doing. Fruitful people are kingdom people straightened up by God and praise him. When we come, so you see this idea of fruitlessness happening. Uh, one, it's fruitless. Fruitlessness skews our thinking. They look at a woman. They miss the idea that here's this infirmed woman for 18 years. They miss it. They don't see the need. They see past the need. They miss the moment to give grace and to receive grace. They miss a time of healing. They didn't see it. They were humiliated and they were indignant when they should have been rejoicing. And they missed it. Because of fruitlessness. Fruitfulness, one, starts by coming to Jesus. Realizing that's where I need to be. And when we come to Jesus, we can straighten up. When we come to Jesus, we can praise God. And when we come to Jesus, we bear fruit for His kingdom. And that's what a fruitful, repentant life does. So repentant and fruitful people... What does it look like? One, they come to Jesus. Two, repentant and fruitful people trust the process of the kingdom. Verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched on its branches. And again he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? 
It is like a like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Notice uh, what's happening here. He's talking about again. We want to look at this 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 whole text this as as a big picture here. And here we have this idea of repentance, turning to God so you don't perish. And then you bear this fruitfulness. And then you have this woman who's coming to Jesus and people who are indignant towards her because she is. And she's healed. And she is repentant, turning to Jesus. She begins to bear fruit. And then he tells them this parable. What's what's it like? Well, repentant people trust the process of the kingdom. A little kingdom in your life goes a long way. Just like yeast, just like a little mustard seed, it goes a long way. It influences and it grows. How many of you came to Jesus because someone you used to run with came to Jesus and you saw a, a difference and they hadn't been in but maybe a couple of weeks? A little kingdom goes a long way and you start to influence people because you can't help but let that yeast go through your life. You can't help but grow because you have the Holy Spirit and you start bearing fruit and people are like, something's different about you. What's different? The Holy Spirit. I've repented. I've turned to Jesus and I'm bearing fruit. I'm part of the kingdom. It influences and it grows. It blesses other people as well. But not only that, it's in it for the long haul. Growth is a long-term process. I know when you have the babies, I saw one in the other service this morning, boy, they grow so fast. You know, I've got two grandkids, one three and the other one is one and man, They are so, they grow so fast and they do so much. But if when you're in the middle of growth, it feels like I'm not growing. It just takes forever. Kingdom growth is long-term growth. And we're in it for the long haul. Trust the process. You ever want to come in and say, okay, this is how we're going to grow and this is what we're going to do and bump, 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 bump. And... If I come here, this is the way it's going to be. If I, if I come in because I have this going on in my life, this is how I want to fix it. Maybe that, maybe, maybe the way we fix things doesn't always work well. As, as, as Dr. Phil used to say, yeah, how's that working for you? How's that work for you there? Uh, you know, we, uh, I worked with a lady one time and she wanted to, uh, she wanted to get her life right. And I said, look, you, you, these are the steps you need to do. You call me tomorrow and I'll, I'll figure out. Actually, I'll go you one better. <laughs> this one just popped in my head. We remodeled our house a couple of years ago and we had borrowed a camper, uh, from Paul and Kim, which they sold out from underneath us and made us homeless for a little while. <laughs> but I don't blame. It was a good deal. But, um, they, uh, uh, and so we're go, we're staying in the camper, but we go into our, our bathroom. And, uh, and take showers. And then, uh, so I'm, I've gotten ready for the evening and I'm going back out to the camper and it's dark. You know, it's, it's dark. I've, and I hear, sir. And I hope this girl is here. I really do. Sir. And I'm just looking around thinking, okay, I don't see anybody. Sir, can I use your phone? And if you've been to my house, people just don't come down our road. You know, I mean, I'm still on a dirt road in Calhoun. Who comes down there? And a dead end dirt road. So, so, and I see somebody up in the, up in the trees and I'm like, Hey, you need to come on out in the light here so I can see you. 
And she does. And it's a young girl. She's got on tennis shoes, running shorts, and not much more, you know. I mean, she's got everything covered, but not much. And I'm just looking at her. And this is about 10 o'clock, and she's got a pit bull named Tupac. I know. I mean, I can't even make this up. I cannot make this up. And uh, and so I'm like, what What can I just need to use your phone? And she gives me this story, and I'm like, so somebody's chasing you, and you're in my driveway? Yeah. And I'm like, all right, come in the house. So we're, there's nothing in my house, nothing in my living room, nothing in my kitchen. It's all torn up. I said, sit right here. I'm going to tell my wife you're here. I said, Karen, she's in the bathroom getting ready for bed. I said, hey, look, somebody, some young girl came in, and uh, there's just, I just want you to know. She said, okay. So I'm sitting there on the floor. I said, now, tell me, tell me your story. You know, there's, there's more going on here. And uh, about that time, Karen walks out and sees what she's not wearing. And she looks at me, and I said, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not one of those mm-hmm from earlier, but one of those mm-hmm, I told you, you know. And she, she said, <laughs> oh, boy, I'm going to get tickled now. So she said, she said, uh, I asked her, you know, what she's running from, and she told me. I said, okay, look, let's just cut to the chase. What's your drug of choice? And she looked at me like, are you crazy? I said, hey, you're the one walking half-naked through my yard asking for help here. I do think I have the right to ask you what I'm getting into if I'm going to help you. And she told me, and we got through everything. I said, look, this is how I can help you. I can give you my phone, and you can call your mama, and she can come get you, which is what happened. I said, but here's my number. Call me tomorrow. When her mama showed up, I said, call me tomorrow. We can get you where you need to be. Well, what does that mean? I said, well, how clean are you? She said, well, I'm not. I said, well, one, we got to get you about 30 days clean before we can do anything. Well, then what? I said, well, there's a couple of places I can refer you to. Well, what do I have to do? Whatever they say to do. Well, can I do this? Can I do this? Never heard from her. Why? She didn't trust the process. I don't know where she is. I have no idea where she is. I don't remember her name. We never saw her again. Hopefully we planted a seed. But what is the, what, what's the point there? Trust the process. It may not make sense why I have to do what I have to do. It may not make sense that I have to get in this van and I have to drive down there with everybody to the store with all these other ladies that I'm in transformations with. And we all have to work here at this, at this store. And who... And and I, I, have, I why do I have to? And what is this Christian music? I don't even believe this stuff. Why do I have to do this? Just trust the process. It's better than the alternative. I promise. Trust the process. And who's this Chad guy? I don't know. Trust the process. Trust the process. And who's this short guy named Brian that wants me to come to this thing on Friday night? What is this? Trust the process. Why? I don't know what to do. My husband and my wife, or my husband gets on me. My wife gets on me. Who's this tall, bald-headed guy? And this, this, this guy named Trey over here on Thursday night just says, keeps really black and white telling me what I need to do. Trust the process. That is what king, repentant and fruit, fruitful people do. They trust the process of the kingdom. It makes no sense. Because the world doesn't make sense. Sin doesn't make sense. But the kingdom trusts the process of the kingdom. 
A little kingdom goes a long way, but as the kingdom grows in your life, when you get a lot of kingdom, what can your life be and do? Woo! we got a church full of people with stories with a lot of kingdom. The next little bit here, Jesus gets into some judgment narratives and stories. We're not going to read it all, but I want to mention this. The first couple of things here he says in verse 22, Then Jesus went throughout the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, going, going throughout, just like yeast spreads through dough, he's out spreading the kingdom. And then some people ask about who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And he comes through and he says this verse and this word in verse 24, make every effort. Repentant and fruitful people look in before they look out. They take care of this, this plank in their own eye before they start doing the, the speck in someone else's eye. Because every finger I point at somebody, I got three more pointing right back at me. Need to look in before I start looking out. And that's what repentant and fruitful people do. They look in. And that's not always easy. But make every effort, he says, to enter through the narrow gate. Next part down, starting verse 25, says, fruit, fruit, Repentant and fruitful people are confident in judgment. You know, we, you always wonder, uh, you know, whenever you're called down to the principal's office or something like, oh, something's fixing to happen. Been there a couple of times. I think most of us probably have. But when we talk about facing judgment, and it is a reality, he even talks about this idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment's real. It will happen. Go back and listen to Scott Caldwell's uh, uh, last two weeks on our, on our app or on our YouTube channel um, on Matthew 24. Judgment is real, but we face judgment differently. Repentant and fruitful people are confident in judgment. We face it with a clear, sober mind, knowing it's going to happen, but we are confident not because of our of what we've done, but we're confident in our standing because we stand with Christ and Christ is in us. Verse 30 of that text says, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. We end where Jesus does. In verse 34, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets... And stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, you were not willing. And he comes, he ends where he started this chapter with repentance and fruitfulness. I long for you to turn to be gathered so you can be fruitful and be kingdom people. But you didn't. You weren't willing. Last Sunday night, Many of us uh, were at Brian and Kaylee's wedding. Uh, they're here, their first Sunday back as a, a married couple, Mr. and Mrs. Rucker. It's got a good ring to it, doesn't it? I called it the most eclectic social event North Louisiana seen in a long time. You saw the crew that was there. How different, you know, I got to thinking that night, Sunday night and Monday morning, Karen and I were talking about how different that evening would have been uh, had they not 
ever repented, those two had not repented, uh, and born fruit and started living kingdom lives. How different that night would have been. The audience would have been very different. Most of us wouldn't have been there. They might have never met. Uh, the preacher would have been different. Derek McQueen wouldn't be doing there, doing their ceremony. He wouldn't, eat if he hadn't repented and uh, started bearing fruit for the kingdom. The reception, you know that would have been different if they hadn't come to Jesus. <laughs> Yet, it might have been even a dangerous reception. Who knows? Yet, they started their wedding by washing each other's feet. They ended with taking communion together and having elders pray over them. They took vows that honored God above each other. That is what people who turn to Jesus, who bear fruit for the kingdom, do. That is a win. And we see those wins over and over and over again. They chose to be gathered as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. They were gathered to Jesus and found each other. So fill in the blank. Oh, fill in your name. I have longed to gather you, Jesus says, as a hen gathers her cheeks. Are you willing? Are you willing to be gathered by Jesus? For some, we've been digging our heels in, hanging on, skeptical, indignant, fruitless. For some, maybe it's time to get back straight again. The gospel allows that. Be fertilized. Don't let your tree be cut down. That's serious language. Yeah, it's serious language because judgment's serious. Bearing fruit, as we said, is serious business. Repentance is serious business. The kingdom is about serious business. And we are kingdom people. The time for gathering is now. As Mike said last week, don't wait until it's too late to repent and turn to Jesus. Be repentant and fruitful until the end. And that's what the gospel promises it's what the gospel offers and that is for you so if there is a need you respond now while we stand and sing